0: not a museum, but a hospital. I hate hospitals. I'm not going to lie. I am not a huge fan of hospitals. I, uh, you know why? It's because they poke at you and then they prod at you a little bit and, and then they give you a bill <laughs> as if they did you a favor. And I remember vividly once, it was a Monday night. It was a while ago. And, and uh, I know because I was doing counseling for Greg and Mallory Burney. Uh, premarital counseling at my house. Um, and it was really a struggle for me because it was when 24 was on. <laughs> remember 24? And it was before DVR, at least before DVR made it to my house. So what I would do is I would set the VCR to record 24. That's right, a VCR. Hey kids, there used to be this machine and you put a tape in it and you set it up to record something and then you went back and watched. But you know what was worse when you went back to watch it? you still had to do commercials. It was terrible. But anyway, I I was ready to watch 24. And and, and, uh, um, as a guy that may not be in the absolute best physical condition, I know, (sighs) my heart hurt a little bit. And I said to Carrie, first mistake, Actually, the physical condition I was in probably was my first mistake. But I said to Carrie, my chest kind of hurts, but it's no big deal. You can imagine how well that worked for me. Next thing you know, I'm at the emergency room, not watching 24, okay? And um, we get into the emergency room, and it doesn't take long, because when you go in and, and your wife says he's having chest pains, they rush you right back, and they make you take something called nitroglycerin which gives you the worst headache you've ever had. And then they take your blood every hour on the hour until they let you go home the next morning. And they poke you and they prod you and they put things on you and and then they make you do this thing called a stress test because I want to run on a treadmill. (laughs) And then they tell you, at least in my experience, false alarm. You probably just strained something. You should just go home now and then they send you a bill, and it's awesome, and it's good times, and so I've always been that guy that hates the doctor's office. I hate the hospital. Uh, in fact, I've told you the story about Aubrey before. When Aubrey was little, and she was like nine days old, and Carrie had to put her motherly foot down to get me to take her to the hospital, and it's a good thing she did. We spent weeks at Iowa City. Um, her blood oxygen didn't register when we got um, into the emergency room, but uh, only because Carrie put her foot down and said, no, that's it. We're going. Is Aubrey alive today? So it's a good thing we've got Carrie and, and moms to tell us, but I hate the doctor's office. Who's like that? Who hates it? It's terrible, right? I don't like it. But here's the thing. That's how we act sometimes when it comes to being at church. When it comes to, to church and when it when it comes to, to getting here and seeing, we, we, we think to ourselves, you know what? I'm really messed up. You heard it in some of the the videos that people, I'm really messed up. Why in the world would I want to go to church? Why in the world would I want to be there? Why would they even want me there? I'm so broken. There's no way they'll accept me. You heard Rob say it. It He's like, the question, why would they even want me there? Will they want me there? Will I be accepted here? See, and and this is the big question that we have to answer. Last week, we looked at the question um, or or the objection or, or the wondering about if I'm already a Christian, if I already believe in God, and we've made the connection before. If you're new here this morning, please don't miss the connection. Believing in God and being a Christian are not the same thing. Lots of people believe in God. Following Jesus is something totally different. Okay, but if you say, I'm already a Christian, why do I need Church. Well, we need it for a lot of reasons. You can go back and listen to last week's sermon, but as we really start to peel the onion, one of the things that we hear, one of the questions people ask is, Will they want me there? Will I be accepted there? Will the things that I've done, or the things that I'm currently doing, or the things that I'm going through, will they get in the way of somebody saying, You are welcome here at this church? It's a question that we wrestle with, and I'm going to tell you something here. A lot of times, guys, I think that has a lot more to do with who we are as a church than we'd like it to. Think when people ask the question, will I be accepted there? Will I be accepted knowing how messy and broken I am? Will I be accepted? I think a lot of times, church, that means we need to look in the mirror. We need to look in the mirror and figure out if that says something about us. But this is what it gets down to. This is a question that we have, and the reality is this churches for you. Churches are intended to serve as hospitals. You see a band-aid in your in your bulletin today? Okay, Chad referenced it. You're going to need that later. If you cut yourself during the service, feel free to use it. <laughs> Otherwise, hold on to it. We're going to talk about that a little bit, but churches are meant to serve as hospitals. And so here's the question. The question of, is church for you? Do you belong at church? Will the church accept you? Will they want you? Listen, you're broken, you're messy. Okay, fine. The church is for you. Jesus, we're going to read this in scripture, Jesus calls sinners to church. Jesus calls sinners into a relationship with him. We're going to see that so clearly when we get into Scripture today, that Jesus calls sinners to him, and so the church is for you. Okay, let's get right into that. Let's, let's jump into Scripture here. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 9. We're going to read verses 9 through 13, but we're going to do them one at a time as we break this down and we, and we try to find out um, what God has to say about this. Uh, it starts here with Jesus calling the disciple Matthew to himself. Okay, so he's walking down the street, and he sees Matthew sitting at his booth collecting taxes, and he says, you know what, you get up, follow me, you're going to be my disciple. Matthew says, hey, that's a good idea, I'm going to do that, and then what happens is we see a whole thing shifts from this. So as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. If you have different versions, you may have the name Levi in there, don't be confused. Levi, Matthew, they're the same guy, okay? Um... I like to think that I'm named after this guy, but my parents weren't overly religious or spiritual, so probably they just liked the way it sounded, but I'm going to go with it. I was named after this disciple. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Now there's a couple of things that you need to understand from this, and first and foremost, is that Matthew, who goes on to be a pretty important apostle. Now, I, I think all of the disciples are pretty important, but this guy wrote the gospel. The first gospel in your New Testament is written by this Matthew. So we, we, we know, we understand that this Matthew is, is critically important in the story of Christianity. And here we find him sitting at a tax collector's booth. And here's the other thing you need to know about this that was a bad deal. Being a tax collector in this moment in time is a tragically bad thing for Jews. See, here's what happened. Um, The Jews didn't belong to themselves. They were occupied by Rome, okay? And they hated, as God's chosen people in God's land, the land that had been promised to them way back with Abram in Genesis, this is the land they're in, but it doesn't belong to them. It hasn't belonged to them since the exile, when God punished them for their sin, and they were sent to Babylon in exile. Since then, they've come back, but they've never belonged to themselves. They've never owned their land. They've always been able to be in their land, but controlled by somebody else. First, it was the Medes and the Persians. Then it was the Greeks. Then it was this whole history of uh, the Seleucids and the Ptolemies. You can read that historical context there, but eventually it's Rome. The world power is Rome, and Rome owns them. And they're allowed to operate here in the land, but Rome owns them and they pay taxes to Rome. It's called tribute taxes. This is what they do. And it goes to pay for a couple of things. One is Rome, because they are in charge, they set up shop. They set up government in Israel. That's why Pilate's there at the time of Jesus. Okay. That's why he's there. That's why there's troops. That's why there's centurions. They're there because they've set up shop. Taxes. So here's the thing. The Jewish people pay taxes to Rome so that Rome can pay for the troops that oppress them. It's a bad deal. They hate paying taxes. But yet there were a few Jews who didn't hate taxes as much as they should have. They saw it as a money-making opportunity. So they agreed to be the tax collectors for Rome and they set up their tax tables, and they collected taxes. Oftentimes, they collected up to double taxes from each family or individual, and the half that went to Rome, they gave to Rome. They didn't mess with that, but they they kept a little for themselves. They robbed people. They stole from people. And everybody knew this happened. This wasn't a surprise. It wasn't under the table. It was out in the open. Being a tax collector, if you didn't care what people thought of you, being a tax collector was a prized position. If you didn't care if people liked you or you didn't think God was really paying attention, being a tax collector was a prized position because it was your way to get rich. And that's Matthew. According to the Jews that had to pay him taxes, he was a traitor, he was worthless, he was the worst kind of sinner that there was. He was about as broken and messy as a person can be, and here Jesus, God incarnate, God in flesh, walks by and says, you, I pick you, You you're on my team. Get up, leave this life behind you, follow me. And Matthew gets up and goes, there's something that you can take from that. If you're wondering if this is for you, and it's simply this, look, the gospel is for everyone. There is no one that is beyond the gospel's reach. Now, church, I'm going to say, if you're here this morning and you're visiting with us, or you've been coming a little while, and you're here and you're thinking, maybe I'm beyond the gospel's reach because of things in my life. I want you to understand this. The gospel is for everyone. Okay, and I'm going to ask you to be paused right there. The rest of you, regulars here at church. The fact that the gospel is for everyone. If that doesn't have an impact on the way you treat people, you got issues. If the fact that the gospel is for everyone hasn't influenced the way that you deal with people, hasn't influenced the way that you interact with people that have the audacity to disagree with you, if the fact that the gospel is for everyone hasn't changed the way you deal with people that don't know Jesus Christ, then we've got problems. Because we read right here that somebody that the Jews would have completely overlooked, somebody that they would have just as soon murdered and thrown in a pit, then offered grace to, Jesus stops and says, the gospel is for you. Get up, come with me. We continue, Matthew 10. Uh, Later that, this is, by the way, one of my favorite verses in scripture, okay? Um, Not because of what it says, but because of the implication. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. This guy's been a Christian for all 30 minutes. This guy's been following Jesus for about 30 minutes now. Jesus says, you know what? You're not too broken. You're not too messy. There's something wrong with you, sure, but it's not too much for me. The gospel's for you. Get up, follow me. Matthew gets up. He follows him, and he's been a Christian. He's been a follower of Jesus for about 30 minutes, and he decides, you know what? Jesus is pretty cool. I need other people to know about Jesus. So what's he do? The very first thing he does is he invites a he he has a party and he invites Jesus as the guest of honor and then he fills out the guest list with tax collectors, sinners. With Well, we can fill in the blank now, right? With People that don't look like they belong at church. He fills out the guest list with people that are messy and broken and have issues and have problems. People that you would see on the street and you would think they have no business being in a church. He looks at those people and he brings them in. You can imagine how the invitation goes. He's like, you know what? I met this guy. His name is Jesus. He changed my life. He's awesome. You should get in on this. I want you to meet him. That's what he does. That's how we handle 30 minutes, this guy's a follower of Christ, and he is already making an impact for people that need to know Jesus. He's already reaching out to them. This is the deal. This is how this works. It's simple. It's not complicated. We make it really complicated, don't we? But here, here's the reality. The reality is those of us that have Christ have a responsibility to share him with those that don't called the great commission when jesus says go make disciples this is what he's talking about and here here's the problem though we really struggle with this because we don't seem to know in the church we don't seem to know what the church is for we don't know who it's for and it sounds mean and it sounds harsh but it's just true this is the way it goes so on this end of the scale and i don't i don't want listen i don't want to hurt anybody's feelings I don't want to ruffle any feathers. I don't want to start any church wars. It's a terrible way to introduce this next statement. Because if you weren't going to be offended, now there's a good chance maybe you will. But no, okay, let's, let's try it this way. Just walk with me through this. On this side of the scale, Carrie, you stand here, please. Be bossy. Carrie is a church that loves Jesus. And she is all about other people coming to church to love Jesus. As long as they love Jesus like she loves Jesus. Right? She wants everybody to know and love and follow Jesus. And they are welcome at her church because her church will tell them about Jesus. But they're welcome at her church if they dress like she does, if they sing the songs that she sings, if they do the things that she likes, If they say the things that she says, if all of that works out great, then they are welcome at Carrie's church. See, Carrie really loves Jesus. She just thinks that the way that you love Jesus has to look like the way that she does it. Her church, I love her dearly, she's my wife. Her church will die. Maybe quickly, maybe it'll take generations, but her church is on a trajectory to death. Because guess what? Most people that need Jesus don't look like somebody that knows Jesus. That doesn't take an advanced degree to figure out. It's not rocket surgery a thing. It's not a thing. <laughs> I meant rocket science or brain surgery. But here what Carrie says is that church is for people like me. Yes, they want to love Jesus, but when they are like me, this church is for them. That church is on a trajectory to death. And on the other side of the continuum, we have Dean. Come on. we got to have you stand here for a while before you have your knee surgery. <laughs> on the other end of the spectrum, we have Dean. Dean also loves Jesus. And Dean assumes that church is in a country club for people like him Dean assumes that, that church is for people that don't know Jesus, and so he's going to do what he can to get people here that don't know Jesus. The problem with what Dean is going to do is Dean is going to say, i got to get rid of everything that scares people. i got to get rid of everything that's going to turn people off. So when I come to Dean's church, you know what? It feels comfortable because the music is something that resonates with me. Um, you know, and, and it feels nice when I walk through the door. People there are like me. It, oh, I like it. It feels better. The problem with Dean's church is he doesn't want to scare anybody off. So Dean is never, he's not talking about hell. Guys, hell is real. I hate that hell is real, but hell is real. Dean's not talking about something as crazy as the Holy Spirit. Dean's never before mentioned that there's a guy named Satan who is real and powerful and is the enemy of your soul. Dean never discusses something big like um, abortion or human sexuality or things like, help me out, what else don't you mention? He, he, doesn't, he doesn't mention anything about unchecked sin in your life. Dean's never talked one little bit about things that God says no to and how you need to ruthlessly cut them out of your life because that drives people away. And I'm going to tell you this, I don't know if Dean's church is going to close, but I know it's not going to save anybody. So here I've got a church that's preaching truth that nobody's coming to. And here I've got a church that people are coming to and it's wasting the opportunity. And this is the battle we have. This is, this is where we forget. We're like, what is church for? And who's it for? And is it for, is it for those of us that already believe in Jesus and follow Jesus and people look like us can come to a church? For, or is it for people outside that don't know Jesus and so we have to do everything we can to bring them in and never scare them away? And the answer is it's not for either of you. You guys, sit down. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Church isn't for either of them. Do you know who church is for? Church exists for the God of the universe. Always go back to the sanctuary or the the tabernacle and go back to the temple and synagogues all through the early church, all through history. Church exists as a place to worship the God of the universe. Church exists so that you can worship, honor, glorify Love the God of the universe. And so you you ask a natural question, or at least you should be in your head thinking a natural question says, Okay, well, what does it look like then? If it doesn't look like that, it doesn't look like that, and it exists to worship and honor the God of the universe, what does it look like then? See, and some of you are making the first mistake that we talked about. Some of you are saying, well, I know what it looks like. It looks like we have to recite the Lord's Prayer. It looks like Hans ought to dress up better and tuck his shirt in. We ought to sing certain music. We ought to do certain liturgies. And that's what it ought to look like because that's what worships and honors God. And I'm going to say, show your work. Show me in Scripture where that tells me God responds to that. And some of you are thinking, okay, well, then we got to dress sloppily. We got to play... Um, Hip-hoppy music. Is that a word? (laughs) Hip-hoppy music, right? We got to have cool things happening all the time. We should set up the smoke machine and the strobe lights and do that. And I'm going to tell you, I'm not sure that honors God either. Again, show your work. See, because what God responds to is the heartfelt movement of his people. You glorify, worship, and honor God in your heart. But Jesus has specific things that he says the church is about. And we're going to read that here, okay? So here's, we've, we've got this, this happening now. It's like, so, so Matthew becomes a disciple, and for about 30 minutes he's a disciple, and he says, the gospel's for me, and here's what I'm doing. I'm inviting everybody that's broken and gross, come as you are. I don't need you to get cleaned up. He didn't give them a dress code. He didn't tell them that they had to repent of their sins and that they had to go make sacrifices at the temple first. He just said, come and meet this guy that changed my life. And then you're going to see battle lines drawn over this, over whether this is appropriate or not. And we'll see how Jesus tells us to respond. Here's, here's what happens in Matthew 9-11 when the Pharisees saw this. They saw that Jesus was at a party with gross people. Jesus is at a party with people that are broken and messy. Jesus is at a party with a guy that was watching porn earlier today. And Jesus is at a party with people that are living together outside of marriage. And Jesus is at a party with with somebody who walked out on their wife because they didn't want to be married anymore. And Jesus is at a party with somebody who struggles with homosexuality. And Jesus is at a party with somebody who struggles with alcoholism. Jesus is at that party. And all of those people bring all of their baggage into the party. And the Pharisees see this and they say, that is ridiculous. Why in the world does your teacher eat with such scum? And boy, I tell you, if you've ever felt broken and messy about being at church, if you've ever felt like, it would, if you've ever felt like you were going to be judged because you were at a church and you didn't feel very churchy, that question resonates with you. That question stings because that's how you feel. You, that, that's what you think. When people look at you, you think that's what they're seeing. And that's what they ask. They say, well, how in the world does Jesus eat with such scum? How does that honor God? How does that worship God? How does that glorify God? Which is a ridiculous question because Jesus, of course is God, but they don't know that. So they ask, how is that right? And then, this is great. So this is what Jesus says. Jesus heard this and he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners." See, this is the call. This is what Jesus says. Jesus says, look, this is what I want you to be about. You want to know why I'm eating with tax collectors and sinners? Because it's about tax collectors and sinners. Because they need Jesus. It's about them. And he says, you know what? I didn't come here for people who are healthy. I came here for people that know they're sick. That's code for... um, people that are self-righteous. In fact, look at the way the message says it. Jesus overhearing shot back, who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? Go figure out what this scripture means. I'm after mercy, not religion. I'm here to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. I know, it was more pleasant when I read this one, right? It didn't sound as Contentious. We get to the message version, and all of a sudden it sounds really contentious. I'm not here to coddle insiders. I'm here to call outsiders. This is what Jesus is saying. This is the, the heart of his words here when he starts talking about that the gospel is for people that know they're sick. Listen, if you're here this morning and you know that you're broken, guess what? Church is for you, the gospel's for you. If you're here this morning and you think that you're righteous, then Jesus has some words for you, and they're not pleasant. Because when he says, look, I didn't, I I came to call the healthy, I'm sorry, I didn't come to call the healthy, I came to call the sick, he's not suggesting that you're actually healthy. If you're here this morning and you're feeling pretty good about your righteousness, Jesus isn't saying, I agree with you, you are righteous. What he's saying is you need to figure out what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire grace, not religion. And you can be like, "Well, Matt, I don't like what I, I don't like it. I don't like what that says. I, I wish it were different." Well, that's great. That's fine. But you're you you're arguing with Jesus. You're arguing with me. Right, I can take it. I can I can understand that you don't like that, that we would rather not be that open. But you're arguing with Jesus. You're not arguing with Matt. Why? When people look at the church and they say, "Guys, I'm too broken to go to church." No, they're not. And if you're making them feel that way. then again, Jesus has words for you. And it's like, I didn't come to call the righteous, I came to call the broken. Those are his words, okay? Now, some of you are concerned. Some of you are concerned that what we've just done by me making that statement is that Blessed Hope Church has somehow said, come here and sin and be happy in your sin because church is for you. I didn't say that. I didn't say that any more than Jesus ever told anybody in the gospels, sin away and be happy with it. Did Jesus ever say that? No. All I did was just say what Jesus said. Okay. And Jesus has never said sin and be good with your sin. In fact, Jesus says, be holy because I'm holy. But what Jesus never does is say, boy, you better start looking like a Christian before you become a Christian. So listen, you are never too messy for Jesus. He came for you therefore the church, at least this church, I hope all of them, but at least this one is for you. That's what it is. Okay. And again, lest you think I'm pushing it too far, just understand this. This was, this was uh, something Matt Chandler had put out there uh, a little while ago that I thought was worthwhile in sharing. It simply says this, grace does not make sin safe. Grace does make the sinner safe. Your sin is not safe. When you come here and you call Blessed Hope your home, you are going to be called to ruthlessly cut sin out of your life. Your sin is not safe here. I'm not going to take it. I'm not going to roll it up in a ball and I'm not going to throw it at you. I'm not going to beat you over the head with it. But your sin is not safe here. But you are. That's grace. We say grace rules the day here. Your sin is not welcome. Your sin is not safe. We are going to teach against your sin. We teach against my sin. I sin daily. And I look in the mirror and it disgusts me. And I work hard to cut it out. And I pray and I ask for guidance and I ask for help. And And that's what will happen with you but you are safe here. It's grace. See, and if we're honest, oh, by the way, that's your Band-Aid. So you got your Band-Aid? So here's what I want you to do. Some of you uh, might feel like, okay, boy, I I need that Band-Aid. I better put it on. Don't. Don't put your Band-Aid on. Again, unless you cut yourself. But here's the deal. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this Band-Aid and I want you to put it in your wallet. If you don't have a wallet, then use your purse, your pocket, whatever. Okay. But I want you to put it in your wallet and I want you to use it. There's a man that I love dearly. There is a man that I love dearly. And you know what? I respect him tremendously. And he is not a Christian And he and I have very different views on a lot of different things. And he is not afraid to very publicly and vocally express that I'm stupid and I'm wrong and I am what's wrong with the world and um, history will judge me. His words, not mine. And oh, there's part of me that is so angry. Because I've done nothing but love and respect and honor him. But you know what? God's got grace for him. He doesn't need my condemnation. He needs a hospital, he needs medical attention. So I'm going to have my band aid, and it's going to help me remember that church is for him and that I need to be for him, and that if I'm not for him, I'm doing it wrong. Some of you are doing it wrong. Because church is for people that are broken. Jesus calls Matthew. Matthew, the worst of the sinners around, gets up and follows. And he brings other like broken people together. And Jesus says, this is why I came. And here's a clue. If that's why Jesus came, it's why we are. Not to tolerate sinfulness. We will give sin no safe harbor. But this is a safe place for sinners if you're confused about what that means, because that is, that is a weird dichotomy. If you're confused about that, what that means, and I'm gonna encourage you to get plugged in, to go deeper, join a small group, come to Sunday school, be a part of Bible study, figure out what it means. That's why we're here. And it's what communion's about. We're gonna celebrate communion. And communion is very simply about this. There is never a minute in our lives that we are not completely dependent upon grace. And there is never a moment in our lives that God is not willing to just pour it out for us. Demonstrated on the cross. This is the gospel message in a nutshell. I'll ask the elders to come forward, prepare to serve us, but this is the gospel message in a nutshell. Because we're broken, and because we're messy, and because we're sinful, And if we're honest, we all are in that boat. But because that's true, what's happened is God says, I want you in my family. I need you in my family. I will provide a way for you to be in my family. Jesus gladly comes to earth. He gladly lives a sinful life as God and man. And he gladly lays his life down at the foot of the cross. And he sacrificed his penalty for our sin. That's what he told his disciples the night of the Last Supper. He said, this is my, he took the bread and he said, this is my body. It's broken for you. So when you eat it, remember my body that is going to be broken on the cross, the ultimate sacrifice. No longer are we taking lambs to the temple uh, to be sacrificed, but Jesus says, I am the sacrifice. This is my body. It's broken for you. Do this and remember me. And then he pours the drink and and he says here, and, and, and this cup represents my blood. It's, it, it's the new covenant that's poured out for you, that's about to be poured out on your behalf. Grace is found here. He says So when you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you're, you're, you're understanding and you're proclaiming this truth of the gospel and the fact that Jesus is returning. This is what's happening when we take communion. And you heard Sarah mention that this is a time where we are mindful of who we are and what we are. It's a time where we're honest, that we are sinners, but that we are saved by grace when we trust and follow Jesus, and that we can trust and follow Jesus only because of what happened on the cross. And so um, we're going to sing. Lisa's going to sing for us uh, a song of, of reflection. And as we do that, we're going to invite those of you that that choose to participate in communion to come forward, receive communion. I'm going to remind you that we practice open communion. There are no restrictions here. You don't need to be a member of the church to celebrate communion with us. All we ask is that you be a member of the church, that you be a Christian. And if you're feeling broken and messy right now, then this is an opportunity in your heart to confess your sin to receive the forgiveness that God has for you, and just to celebrate the fact that grace is for you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we love you, and we thank you. God, you are good and gracious and kind. You loved us so much that you sacrificed on the cross. And Father, we acknowledge that sacrifice as payment for our sin, and we choose to accept, follow, and submit to you. Father, we love you and we praise you. Amen.